Paul was serving the Lord in a mixed up world. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> serving the Lord in a mixed up world. And it's, uh, it is a mixed up world out there in a lot of ways. I tell you, um, the only thing that makes it have sense is Jesus Christ. You know, you think about all the craziness going on. You think about life itself. You think about the loss of life and how that affects us. And um, as I talked with Michael this week, and, and uh, just, just knowing that we have God's promises gets us through the most difficult day of our life. Um, without those promises, I don't even know how we would even face such a thing. But um, as we said Friday uh, at the graveside there, Miss Shirley entered into a world of no mores. No more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more worries, no more wondering what heaven looks like because she's there experiencing today. And uh, we are the ones that should be cried for, Michael, because we've got to stay here. And she has already fought her race and ran her race and fought her fight. And we're so thankful for her and her life. Acts 14, and the journey continues. Uh, the mission continues, and here's our, our map once again. We've been doing the red line going out. The blue line will take us back, and we're going to finish that journey this week, uh, this Sunday. We, we got left off last week at Antioch up there in the top left-hand corner. This week, Paul's going to go with Barnabas, going to go to Iconium, also to Derby, And then they're going to come back through those towns and check on the ones that give their heart to Jesus. They're going to continue to try to disciple them, to lift them up, to get them strong in the word of God, to organize the churches there in that area so they can be ready to serve and lead others to Christ. And then they're going to make their journey all the way back to the Antioch over on your right-hand side. And they're going to make their first uh, missionary report, I guess you would say. You know, from time to time, and here not too long from now, we're going to have one of our missionaries coming in, Jim Gentry, and he's going to be talking about what's going on, where he's serving. And uh, it's, it's great to hear about all those things. And uh, here this morning at the end of our, our lesson, we're going to see where Paul and Barnabas gave a report. They, they got up in front of their home church and said, this is what we experienced. And the people were so excited about what God was doing. So let's get started this morning and finish up this journey of Paul's first missionary journey. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. Now, we know that that's been their M.O., so to speak. When they would go into a town, since Paul knew the Jews, he knew the background of the Jews, he would first look for the synagogue. There was a lot of synagogues throughout this area, and they would go and find that church. They would go in there and worship. And uh, like I said a couple weeks ago, most of the time when there was someone there that they trusted, that they knew, like Paul, they would allow them to get up and, and give some words of encouragement. So he would go there first, and, and there was both kinds of people going there. There was Jews, there were Gentiles, and so it was a, a mixed congregation. And uh, many of them would just hear the message that Paul had, and, and many would come to Christ. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed, but the other Gentiles poisoned their minds against their brothers. 
So there was some, as, as usual, there's going to be always some in the crowd that do not believe. There's going to be some that's going to try to pull others away. There's going to be some that's going to scream, I don't want to hear that. And uh, there's always going to be those there. And so they, where God's at work, guess what? Sadly, the devil's at work. And it's just something you've got to prepare for. You've got to be strong in God. You've got to be ready for that. And wherever God's at work, just get ready for it, guys. The devil's going to show up, and he's going to try to put as much mess in the situation as he can to get you off task, to get you away from things. How many times do you wake up on Sunday morning expecting to go to church, and what happens? A thousand different things happen. Usually there's a, some kind of argument. Usually there's a shoe lost somewhere we can't find. Usually there's a dress that got tore that wasn't supposed to. Or the phone rings and you got to go do something at work or whatever. But it's, it seems like it's that way all the time. Wednesday night. Man, I'm going to Wednesday night. I'm going to go study about Daniel tonight. And man, the devil convince you that your throat's scratchy. Or he'll convince you that uh, you're tired tonight. Or he'll convince you that, uh, you know, that, that there's just so much more to do. You need to go home and get the laundry caught up. Or you know, he just, he'll do that. He'll convince you that that's not where you need to be. And so just be ready. Be ready. Be prayed up. Be planned up that when the devil comes calling, I am not going to let him distract me from what God has me to do. And that same way with telling people about Jesus and everything else. I'm going to go tell my neighbor. I'm going to go tell this person. I'm going to share the gospel with them. And there's always something that will pop up if you're not careful. But the other Gentiles poisoned their minds against their brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. They wanted to make sure that they were grounded in what they believed. They didn't want to leave them. They, see, our, our project, our command, our commission as a New Testament church is not only to win people to Jesus, it's to see them baptized, and then the third part of that is to make disciples. And if we just lead them to Christ, and, and it's a great thing, don't get me wrong, it's awesome, but if we just leave them there, we've only done one-third of the Great Commission. And that's why we, we get up and we promote and we beg and plead that come to Sunday school, come on Sunday night, come on Wednesday night. It's not just so you can come to church. It's so that we can disciple each other, so that we can know what God has to say, so we can know what God's telling us, so that we can serve him in a very mixed-up world. It is a very mixed-up world. And you know for your fa a fact, I know for a fact, if I get out there in the world very long, I start to look like the world. And so I have to take a lot of Jesus with me out there, and it's just like your cell phone. It gets weak sometimes. Your battery goes down. You've got to plug it on the charger. Same thing with us. We've got to come and be recharged for the Lord and every time because this world, will, will, it will just deplete us. Speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Now here's another part where we see that God is allowing for signs, wonders, miracles, so to speak, to be done. Now, miracles in themselves do not bring people to trust and faith in Jesus Christ. If it would have been that easy, Jesus Christ would have just done miracles all the time he was here, and everybody would have seen that and go, well, that's God. I'm believing in him. I'll give him my life. And we know from a fact that people can sit there and watch somebody that was not able to walk, to walk again, we can sit there and see people, somebody that was dead and rose again, and still not everybody believes. So just because you can do a miracle, just because you can do signs and wonders, don't make everybody a believer. But God allows that. He uses that to show his grace, to show his love, so others can come to know Christ. Verse 4, the people of the city were divided. 
Some sided with the Jews and other with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. There was a plot afoot. There seems like there's always a plot afoot these days in this world. We're going to talk about one that kind of happened this week at ASU in just a minute. There's always a plot afoot. There's something to, to take people's mind off God, to, to try to hide him, to veil him, to shut him out, to turn the light off. Do you know that the darkness loves darkness? The darkness loves darkness. And the darker that they can make it, the better it is. Now, we have, we've been called to be children of light. When God comes in our heart, it's not because we're perfect, it's not because we're better than anybody else, but because the living God living in us, he asks us to be light to a world that desperately needs it. This world loves darkness. The Bible says that men choose to do their evil deeds in the dark of night. And I, I tell you, the darker they can make it, the more they can't be seen, the more they like it. But it is amazing and I know this in my life, you probably know it in your life, when God comes into the dark, deepest recesses of our heart, the things that we hide in there that only we know about, we think, and God knows those things, and he turns the light on those things, it really convicts us, doesn't it? It convicts us. We realize there's things in our life that need to be taken care of. There are things in our life that need attention. He gets back in there where the cobwebs are and the spiders and all those things and shines light on them so that we can clean them up and we can set our heart right with God. Because it's hard to serve God, amen, with a heart that's not right for him. It's hard to serve God. We may be mad at the world. We may be mad at family. We may be mad at our friends. We may be mad at people at work. Unless we can grab ourselves through God, through his presence, through his power in our life, and hold ourselves and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not the way he wants me to live. And he shines light on us once again so that we can live the way that pleases him and that he knows is best for us. So they had a plot. They were going to mistreat them. They were going to talk bad about them. They were going to make life so terrible for them, they'd get on out of here and leave them alone. They don't want to hear the truth. Shut up about God. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. Do you know why people don't want to hear about Jesus Christ? Do you know why people don't want to see crosses on a helmet? They don't want to have to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And guys, when you see the cross, a decision has to be made. Either I believe that he died for mankind, I believe that he died for me, I believe that he did that all for me, or I think that's the biggest phony thing I've ever seen. And all of a sudden, when you make that decision, it's not, your, it's not God's fault anymore, it's your fault. It's accountability rests on my shoulders now, because I've got to make a decision. So if I can just keep all that stuff from showing up, where I don't have to think about that God stuff and that Jesus stuff, then I can just live however I want, and I'm not affected by it accountability. That's why people hate Jesus. They don't want to be accountable. They don't want to stand before him on the last day of the great white throne judgment when all the lost people in all the land will stand before God and he says, what have you done for me? Did you give your life? I, I died for you. Have you given your life to me? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And there's not going to be any arguing. It says the books will be open and whosoever name was not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Nobody wants to hear that. 
Because if I believe that, then I've got to change something. And I don't want to change. That's what's wrong with the world. They know all about Jesus. They just don't want nobody talking about it. Because once you hear the truth, you can't unhear the truth. We talked about that last Sunday night. Once you hear the truth, you can't unhear it. Oh, I've never heard it. You just heard it. You can't, put, you can't take that out of your mind. God's going to say, you heard the truth, and you decided not. You decided no. But they found out about it and fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Now, don't think of them as cowards right now. If you stopped right there and you didn't read any further, you'd go, man, I thought they were powered by God. I, I thought they were filled of the Holy Spirit. I, I thought that they could just stand up to those people. How come they fled? How come they, the first, you know, with this, it, it was getting worse, and how come they just didn't stand up there, and how come God didn't just zap them with some sign or wonder they were doing? We'll find out later that God moved them to another area so others could hear, but also he'll bring them right back to this town in a few, few verses, and they're not going to shy away from telling people about Jesus. They're not going to shy away from that. But also, remember what we said last week? God will extend his invitation. He will extend his invitation. He will extend his invitation. And after you say no so many times, he dusts off his feet, and they've got to go on. Because there's other people dying without Jesus. You've got to keep moving. You've got to keep going. You can work with a group for so long and you've got to move back. And then you come back and you, you tell them again. And then you come back and you tell them again. You don't give up on them, but you move on for a time and then you come back. And that's what Paul and Barnabas are going to do. Verse 8. In Lystra, there said a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth. We've heard about this before. Here's another instance of a man that's lame from birth. Now, that's very important because if he'd been lame by when he was 18 or if he'd got lame when he was 30 and he got healed, all of a sudden somebody would say, oh, his health must have changed. Oh, some, I, you don't have to give that credit to God. He just got better. He was sick and got better. But here, this has happened since he was born. And everybody in that town knows that this man's been crippled since he was born. It's a big thing. And he had never walked. He had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. My goodness. Just jumped up and began to walk. Now, here's one instance where eavesdropping was a good thing. If you look at that, how that's defined, and Paul he heard Paul speak. Many people believe that, that Paul's not necessarily up preaching a message at this time. It'd kind of like be me and Gary over here talking and, hey, I just want to tell you about God, man. And, man, he's done some great things in my life. He's changed me. I saw a great light on the road to Damascus. And, man, he's been working in my life. And he's just, and all the time, this man's over here listening to this. He's eavesdropping on the conversation. He's hearing Paul speak. And, and, and listen, don't ever think that people's not hearing what you're saying when you're talking to somebody else. Whether it be good or bad, amen? Whether you're gossiping or telling the good news of Jesus Christ, there's somebody always listening. And we've learned now from cell phones and all that stuff, there's already always somebody got their phone on or there's always somebody taking a video or a picture. You, you know, every time there's something going on these days, somebody's got a picture of it on their phone somewhere. And here Paul is just conversing with some people. Maybe it's just a small group. Maybe it's just one person. 
But this man over here that's never walked is listening. And Paul, all of a sudden, he's there, and, and he, you know, through the presence of God and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And guys, listen, when we're, when we're moving for God, when we're doing what God asks us to do, we, we can sense people that hurt. We can sense people that, that need something. It, it's amazing. I can't understand it. I can't explain it. I've had people, and you've had people say, I, I'm so glad you come by. I was having a bad day, or I was going through some terrible times. And it's just so good to see you. But Paul, the Bible says, Paul's talking, and all of a sudden, he just looks straight at that man. And, and God allowed him to realize that that man had faith to believe in Jesus Christ. That he had the faith that could change his life. God allowed that for Paul to know that. And then Paul began to do the work of God. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. He saw that he had faith to be healed. And then what does it say? And called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Sorry about that, guys. But it's just amazing as God is allowing Paul to see what's going on in the lives of people. And I believe when we get close to God, when our church is praying for people, when our church is going and wanting to put things together to to further the kingdom, God is going to give us a special insight to how to reach people, how to be there for them, how to minister to people. He's going to allow that to happen. And it's just amazing to be a part of that. It's amazing to be a part of that. Verse 11, when the crowd saw that Paul had done, they shouted in Lyconian language, the gods, little g, have come down to us in human form. It's amazing to me that people do not believe in God, and they don't believe in Jesus, but they want something so bad to worship. They want something so bad to put their hope and trust in. And that's where false gods come from. Anything that you said above God, anything you said above his son Jesus, is a false god. And these people go, the gods, little G, they've come down to us. It's amazing. It's a miracle. A mixed up world. Here, before them, Paul was talking about the giver of life. He's talking about the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's talking about somebody that can give them eternal life. And they're all excited about Zeus and Jupiter and all those kind of gods, these made up gods. They want something to believe in. (coughs) They want something to believe in so bad. And we've talked about it before. I think what that is is when God made us, he put something in our heart that wants to worship him. He give us something in us that worships God. And when we don't worship God, we're going to replace that with something else and worship something else. It might be money. It might be whatever. It might be anything. But we want to worship something because we are made, we were created to worship God. And when we turn our back on him, we're going to worship anything that comes down the pipe. And that's what's got the world so messed up. And here, they were just going crazy. The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and and wreaths to the city gates because he he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. What a confused and mixed up world. What a confused and mixed up world. The false gods, they had a church 
to false gods. They worship Zeus and Jupiter, things we talk about in Greek mythology. And here the leader of that church said, oh, let's, let's praise him. Let's burn some sacrifices to him. And you can see how confused the people were. When the apostle Barnabas, Paul heard there in verse 14, Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes. That, that's a sign of mourning. That's a sign of distress, distress and discouragement. No, you can see Paul going, no, that's not it. We're not a God. Read what he says there. He says, Paul heard, he tore the crowd uh, clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news. <coughs> I'm sorry. Telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Why are you putting your hope and faith and trust in something that's dead? That's not even existent. It'd be like worshiping this vase of flowers. Oh, I pray to the vase of flowers. What a great vase of flowers. Lord, give me this day, flowers. Give me what I need. Can this flowers give me anything? No. You say, Brother Todd, that's ridiculous. Nobody do that. People are doing it every day. People are doing it every day. They might not be praying to a vase of flowers, but they're, they're giving their life, they're living their life, they're putting things in their life, they're stacking it in there, and none of it can help them but Jesus Christ. Amen? Nobody can help them but Jesus. And they're lost, and they're lonely, and they're discouraged, and they're depressed, and they're all these things. And they try this thing, and they try that thing, and they try that thing. They try something to make them feel better about themselves. And guys, there is no one that can give you more self-worth than Jesus Christ. Why do I know that? Who else died for me? Who else gave their life for me? Who else wants to give me eternal life? No one. When people say, I'm not worth anything, I'm not worth much, that's the devil. The devil wants you to think you have nothing about you. He wants your self-esteem to be exploded and downtrodden. He wants you to have no hope. But Jesus says, I care. You are someone. You are special in God's eyes because I've died for you. I've died for you. And I give you worth. Our worth is found in Jesus Christ. Worthless things to a living God. Paul said, why are you giving that stuff to worthless things? Give it to a living God who made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in the seasons. He provides you plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even when these words, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing things to them. Paul said, I, th th there's a sermon here. I, I've, got, I've got a group of people that don't know Jesus. I've got to preach to them. Now, do you see the difference in his approach this week than it was last week when he preached to the Jews? You remember where he took the Jews? He took them back to Moses. He took them back to the Old Testament. He took them back through their history. Now, listen, that sermon wouldn't work with this group. They're Gentiles. They're Greeks. They don't know nothing about that. They don't have that past of Moses. They don't have those kind of things. And so he's got to go a different direction. 
Now, is he still teaching about Jesus? You better believe it. Is he still wanting them to know Jesus' Savior? You better believe it. But he's got to approach them in a different way. And so, what are they worshiping these false gods? They're worshiping the sun. They're worshiping the moon. They're worshiping stars. And really what they're worshiping is things that the living God has made. So that's why he's using these things. (coughs) Help me, Lord. (coughs) By giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons, he provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they couldn't quite get it. Sometimes, guys... You will do your best to tell people about Jesus. You will, you will want them so bad to get it. And you will just, you'll feel like you did the best presentation. You feel like you lifted up God the way he should be lifted up. And you'll look into their eyes and you just see this blank look. It's the saddest look you've ever seen. They, they just can't quite connect to it. They can't quite get it. But you keep telling them. You keep loving them. You keep showing them a merciful God. And that Holy Spirit will begin to work in their life. And he will begin to draw them and, and bring them into himself. Then some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium won, won the crowd over. See, that, that plot's still afoot. Here, here, here's how amazing it is to me that people want to snuff out what God's got to say. You remember they were in Iconium. The plot comes. They're going to stone them and make things bad for them. So they leave that town. Those folks follow them. And they stir up the people in that town. We're going to shut them up. It's amazing to me how much people that don't believe in Jesus pursue the people that do believe in Jesus. Now, let's reverse that. What if we as God's people pursued the lost like the lost pursue against us? Hmm. Brother Todd, you done got us convicted now. You done convicted us now. We want to get so upset at people that want crosses taken away and all these things. But when's the last time we turned the tables and went to them and said, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that hatred fixes, doesn't fix hatred? Do you know that wrong will not fix wrong? If somebody does you wrong, doing wrong back to them is not the answer. If someone hates on you, hating them back is not the answer. We serve a God and his name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says God is love. Love. And we must tell the good news of that love. We must tell the good news of that love. It says some Jews came over from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. This wasn't just in the days of cars where you drove over 10 minutes. These folks probably walked days to get there just to stir up trouble. And they stoned Paul. Oh, my goodness. They threw rocks at Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now, this wasn't just a few rocks. This wasn't somebody got a good shot in. They thought he was dead. And they drug him outside the city. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he left, and Barnabas left for Derby. Now, I don't know what happened. They had some kind of powerful prayer meeting went on. 
Because here Paul's just been stoned. They think he's dead. They've drug him outside the city. And it says the disciples gathered around him. The people of the church gathered around him and they began to pray. And guys, I'm not sure. Some, some writers believe that Paul might have even died. And they prayed him back to life. I don't know. I guess in the words thinking he was dead, maybe it tells us that he didn't really all the way die. But anyway, something miraculous happened because here he is, drug out of the city, been stoned. And if, if you've ever been hit with anything, it hurts. But can you imagine people throwing rocks at your head and at your eyes and at your body and your arms and your legs and they just keep hurling them stones at you? That wouldn't feel good. But I love this part. Something miraculous happened when the disciples gathered around because what's it say? But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up, went back into the city. That's not shying away there. He went back into the city. I think I'd have ran the other direction pretty fast. The next day, he gets up the next morning and says, let's keep on. Let's keep serving God. Keep serving God in a mixed up world, guys. Keep serving God in a mixed up world. Our next screen here. Many of you have heard this story this week. This is the ASU football team. And last Saturday or two Saturdays ago, they decided to honor a couple of their fallen teammates. This uh, Markel Owens was murdered down in Jackson, Tennessee at his parents' house on, on break. And then Barry Weir, Weir um, was a, a manager, helper, and he was killed in a car accident right before school started this year. And so they decided to put this cross on their helmet. There was one lady that this offended. And so she sent an email to the college requesting those crosses be removed because there's a law in there somewhere that colleges are not supposed to put anything that's religious on any equipment of the school. Now, I guess devil's advocate for a minute, I understand that law because they don't want anything that the government is placing to, to force any kind of religion on the kids. The thing about this cross was it was instigated by, or it was brought about by the, by the teammates. They, they come up with this idea, and the coach said it would be okay, and they put the sticker on their helmet to honor these fallen teammates. Well, this wasn't enough, so this lady goes out and gets her a lawyer. By the way, it's the same lady that, that got, prayer taken out of prayer, uh, got prayer taken out of the Riverside graduation this past year. One lady, one lady, okay? We need to pray for her. She's lost. We need to pray for her. Because if she saw Jesus, it'd change her life. So they said in order not to, you know, have, and they had a lawyer contact them and said there would be a lawsuit brought up if the crosses were not removed. So what they did this week is they cut off the top part of the cross and the bottom part of the cross and just left the M.O. and the B.W. It looked about like that. Now what's happened is uh, people are a little upset about that. One atheist lady has fired up the church in Jonesboro more than any preacher has in the last 25 years. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing how we can get fired up for football and stuff like that? And the preacher's preaching the pulpit week after week, and it's boring, and we're tired, and we want to go home, and I just can't get excited about Jesus. But these people are excited. They're making T-shirts with crosses on them. They're making signs with crosses. And I got a feeling if you go to Jonesboro next week, you're going to see a cross on every corner in Jonesboro. And so 
what the devil thought would get him discouraged, God's going to turn around and use something for good, and maybe he's going to get the church to get up and do something. Maybe he's going to get us, unbel- us believers to get up and really do something for God. Guys, whatever it takes, I don't care. I don't care if it's the ASU football team or whatever it is. Whatever it takes to get us stirred up for God, I'm ready for it. This, this world needs a spiritual awakening. We need to quit sitting on our tail end. And I really feel like maybe it's about time. Maybe I could, I could almost see the believers scooting around their chair a little bit. I can see them. I've about had enough. I can, see, I can hear them clearing their throat, Gary. They're clearing their throat. It's about time we spoke up. And maybe they will through that this week. I plan on being there Saturday night. I just want to be there. I want to, I want to, I want to support what's going on here. Because I think we need to step up for God however it is. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to be telling people about Jesus. That's the one thing that will fix all of this. That's the main thing, rather than putting a cross on your T-shirt, is telling these people about Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to fix this world. But, but it's amazing to me. What do we do in a mixed-up world like this? Do we get mad? Do we sit back? Do we shut up? We've been so politically correct for so long... Guys, I don't believe the church was ever called to be politically correct. The church is called to be whatever this Bible says it's to be. And whatever the Bible teaches, that's what we need to be. Now, we're not up here to blast people. We're not up here to offend people. But listen to me. When you tell the truth of Jesus Christ and it offends somebody, you can't help that. Because Jesus will take care of that. He's big enough to take care of himself. But we just need to stand up. We need to stand up whatever it is. Way more than this football helmet. We need to stand up for Jesus on a daily basis. We need to be excited. We need to be broken and spilled out for him. But whatever it takes, whatever it takes to excite the church again, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. They preached the gospel in that city. Let me finish. And won a large number of disciples, and they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. See the ones we thought they were running from? They went right back through those cities. The people that tried to stone them, the people that had a plot against them, they went right back through them and taught them again. They kept up the, the, the Great Commission. They continued to teach them about Jesus. Strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to their faith. I want to do that to you this morning, remain, have you to remain true. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That's a hard statement right there, folks. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them. In each church, they organized the church with prayer, fasting, and committing them to the Lord. After going through Pisdah, they came to Pamphylia, and they preached the word in Perga, and they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. And on arriving, their home now, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and how they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Let me give you these two things and we're going to go. Show me this next screen. I want to encourage you to do this, guys. I want want to encourage you to stay strong. All throughout this journey, Paul and Barnabas stayed strong. In the face of stoning, in the face of abuse, in the face of heckling from the crowd, you name it, they faced it and they stayed strong. And I think one of the biggest proofs that you are, have faith in Jesus Christ is that you continue on in the faith. 
the thing that I see today, the thing that I see today in America is we get really fired up for God for about three or four months, and then we get tired and we back off. We really get fired up for God, and we get tired and we back off. It takes all of me to serve God. I don't know if I want to give all of me or not. I got a lot of things else I want to do. Guys, we don't have time for that. There's people dying without Jesus. Continuing in the faith day after 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 day. day. You got to just get up and do it again. You got to just get up and do it again. There's many, many faithful people in this church that just get up and do it again. They just get up and keep on, keep it on. There's some of us, however, that want to take breaks. And we want to be gone for a while. We've got to stay in there. Listen to what it says. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. This is not a hard thing. Oh, Brother Todd, it's hard serving to God. What did he just say in his word? This is not burdensome. You know why? Because he says, cast all your cares on me. Bring it all to me. I'm going to take care of it. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Who's going to be standing in heaven someday and celebrating and praising God? Only those that stay in the faith and believe in Jesus Christ. And what's sad today is many are dropping away. It's too hard. I want to do more stuff myself. It's too difficult. It's too difficult. I can't do this. And God says, it's not hard. It's not burdensome. Just get up and keep on serving. The mission continues. The mission continues. I got a challenge for you. And you all might think I'm crazy. But this is my new challenge right here. I'm going to ta- challenge every FBC member to this challenge. Everyone, I'm going to be putting it out on Facebook. I'm going to be getting information in their hands. But I want to challenge every member that we got to this challenge right here. First of all, I want every member to commit to at least four services a month to this church. If you're a member, I want you here four times a month. Now, that's just a starting spot. That doesn't mean I got my four in, I can stay home. Every member, I want you here four times a month, and I want one of those to be Sunday school. You say, Brother Todd, you're being awful demanding. I think it's time we challenged each other. And that can be three Sunday mornings, or it can be a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and a Wednesday night, or it can be three Wednesday nights or four Wednesday nights. I work on Sundays, Brother Todd, Wednesday night. But I think if you're a part of something, you want to be here. I think if you're a part of this family, you want to be a part of it. Four services a month. Now, if you're doing more than that, great. Think back last month. Was I here four times last month? If you weren't, you got work to do. The others can be Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday. Now, think about this. We have 250 active members or more. Is that about right, Donna? About 250 active members. What that means is they're on the roll and they can come any given Sunday. Now, we have some unactive members that have moved off or whatever. But but I'm talking about people that are here. About a hundred of those are already at four plus by all means. And you faithful people, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You keep showing them how to do it. But look at this. That leaves us about 150 that are in and out, in and out, in and out. If you will commit 
to four services a month. That will give you, that will give us 600 more touches, touches with people's lives. Now, if you like football like I do, they say the more time we touch the ball, the more times we can score. The more time that we can touch your life as a church, the better you're going to be for God and the stronger you're going to be for God and the more you're going to know about God. And the better you're going to be out there in this crazy world. If you think about that a minute, Gary, if, if those 150 members will commit one Sunday school a month to Sunday school, that's going to be a, one, of them, one of them Sundays we're going to have 250 here. The goal is to learn and draw closer to God. More fellowship with First Baptist Church family members. It's your family. And to increase the greater faithfulness. Four services a month is just getting started. That's just getting started. As you come and be a part, you're going to want to come again. And you're going to want to come again. And you're going to want to come again because you're growing in God. And then all of a sudden, you're not going to want to miss. You're not going to want to miss. So guys, I ask you. I challenge you. And by all means, you don't have to do it. But I challenge you to four services a month. That's not too much. Think if you went to your job four times a month, how long you'd be there. Think if you went to school four times a month, how long you'd be there. Think if you went to country club four times a month, how long you'd be there. Or any club you're a member of. Guys, it's time for us to stand up. I want you to think about this. I want you to pray about it. You might say, preacher, you have lost your mind. But we were talking about this the other night. And, and we have got to find a way to get people involved. 80 in Sunday school should be just, that should be like a holiday weekend. 100 in Sunday school, 150 in Sunday school should be nothing. It should be nothing. But I want to challenge you. You can take the challenge or say, I don't want any part of it. That's up to you. This is not a place where you have to do anything. And I'm not saying if you don't do this, you're not a member anymore. Please hear that. But I'm just saying, will you take the challenge? Would you take the challenge this church year? From September to next September, will you take this challenge to challenge and commit to four services a month? I think it'd change our church. I think it'd change our community. I think it would change a lot of things. You think about it. Let's pray. Then, Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we just ask you to be with us. Lord, help us to realize how much you love us and how much you deserve our praise. Lord, help us to keep on keeping on. Help us to overcome. Help us to keep fighting. Help us to continue in the faith. Because, Lord, you never give up on us. You never quit up. You, ne you never quit. You never take days off. And so, Lord, I ask you to help us. I ask you to help First Baptist Church of Kaiser to take on this challenge. Every member, every family to pray about it and to take on this challenge so that we can grow in the word, we can grow in you and get closer to you and we can be ready for a crazy world and we can come to know you more each day and we can come to know this great family. Lord, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for loving us. And Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.